Let's pray before we get into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We pray that as we come to your word today that we might hear your voice. That by your spirit you might speak into our hearts. We pray that you will help us to see your love for us in every page of the scriptures. That when we come to your word, we'll know all that you've done for us. We pray that you will help us to respond in faith and in love to you, the one who has loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to um, just take a couple of weeks off of our series in Leviticus that we've been doing leading into Easter. Uh, and over these next few weeks, focus on the Easter week and all that Christ has done for us. And so this morning we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, for anyone who likes to follow along in their Bibles. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. As you know, over the last few weeks, we've been preparing for Easter by diving into the book of Leviticus and seeing things like the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would offer a, a sacrifice for the people and would enter into the holy place. And we spoke at that time about the tearing of the curtain that happened on the Good Friday. We've spoken about substitution in the places that, the things that the sacrifices were designed to teach the people of Israel about what God was going to do for them. We've seen in Leviticus how they would prepare themselves for these holy days. And today we're going to be preparing ourselves for the holy days that are coming up, for Good Friday, for Easter Sunday, as we look at this Palm Sunday. Although it is interesting that we call it that. The palms are probably the least important detail out of the story that we have. 
But it is part of that vivid picture of this crowd of people praising Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. We pick up the Gospel account as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem at the start of the Passover week. Now, Passover was one of three pilgrimage festivals uh, in the the, uh, law of Moses, in in the Judean faith, uh, sorry, in the Jewish faith, that um, people would travel to Jerusalem from all the places that they lived. Um, yeah, not, not every single Jewish person that lived in every part of the Roman Empire came to every single uh, pilgrimage festival. But Jesus would have been, and his disciples would have been, among a huge crowd travelling down from Galilee with a few here and there coming down from Syria or coming down from Turkey. And there would have been people, you know, the, the odd Jewish people making their pilgrimage from Rome and from Ephesus and all these places that we know that there were Jewish communities that the disciples went to during the book of Acts. So this huge crowd, this very large crowd, as Matthew describes it, um, and you know, this is really the only time he uses that phrase to give the picture of just how big is this group of people coming into Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are obviously, they're among that crowd. But as they draw near, Jesus sends two of his disciples off with a job. Return with a donkey. Uh, so yeah, He, he tells, sends them off to go and find this donkey that's in this town, the village nearby, the village ahead of them. It would be with its mother, a colt and, and its mother, and bring them both to him. And he would ride the colt that had never been ridden before into Jerusalem. And having the mother there was probably just a, um, you know, a common sense sort of thing to help keep the colt calm with you know, it never having been ridden before and with all of these crowds chanting around them. Now, this whole, this whole thing that Jesus has done, where he gets his disciples to get the donkey and where he rides it into Jerusalem, is not just an interesting detail uh, that you know, Jesus did something a bit weird so his disciples wrote it down. Uh, nor was it that after walking all of the way from Galilee, now within the last you know, two kilometres, his legs were too tired to walk anymore. When Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem, he was proclaiming himself to be king. That's the point that Matthew draws out by directing us to the the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament who wrote, Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There had been a lot of speculation about who Jesus was. Leading up to this time, he'd had a moment where he asked his disciples, who do all the people say that I am? And they give him a, a lot of different answers. Some say, you know, you're a, one of the prophets, or John the Baptist come back, or Elijah. Who is this guy? There's been a lot of speculation, and some even wondering if he is the Messiah, the king, the, the promised descendant of David. 
who would come and who would bring peace and who would bring prosperity and who would bring you know, the, the greatest kingdom the world had ever known and whose throne would never end. And when Jesus got onto that donkey as he rode into Jerusalem, he was proclaiming, yes, I am the king. And the reaction of the crowd shows that they understood exactly that that was what that pronouncement was, that, that action was saying. Here is the king that we've been waiting for. Hosanna to the son of David. Why is it significant that he's the son of David? Because the Messiah would be a descendant of David. And the, the phrase son of um, in, in Hebrew thought doesn't mean literally that you have to be the son of, but any descendant of of somebody could be called the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus is proclaiming himself not just to be any king, but the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for. And yet there was more to the action, more to what he did in riding in on this donkey. Because riding in on the donkey was designed to show exactly what kind of king he is. And as we, uh, last year, I don't know uh, whether anybody remembers, but we looked at Zechariah chapter 9 as we came into, uh, as we had our Palm Sunday service and we looked at this prophecy that Matthew uh, reflects back on in recording this uh, event of this first Palm Sunday. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of the donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be, bro- uh, battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And you can see just in that short section of it the way that the donkey is contrasted against the chariots and the war horses. That the picture of the king riding in on the donkey is a picture of a king of peace, not a king of war. A king bringing salvation. And so as we look at this first Palm Sunday, the question is there, did the crowd pick up on the message that Jesus was sending? Did they understand the message that he was making by by riding in on that donkey? And the answer is yes and no. It seems clear, yes, they understood that he was proclaiming himself to be king. But it seems like they might have missed the significance of the king riding in on the donkey. The king who was there to bring peace. The crowds that were following Jesus had come from Galilee and many of them had seen the raising of Lazarus had seen the healing of blind Bartimaeus on the road just out of Jericho as Jesus and his disciples were travelling towards Jerusalem. 
they recognised that he was somebody special. They recognised that something significant was happening. And so when he, he uh, got onto this cult, the people made this makeshift parade with anything they could find, the cloaks from their backs or the palm branches from the trees. And they call out, Hosanna to the son of David. And as I noted before, clearly they've seen the significance of what he's doing with regard to him being the Messiah, the son of David, the king that they've been waiting for. And they call out, Hosanna. This, uh, literally, this word means save us, oh, save us now. Uh, but in the way that language changes, by this time it was, it was mostly used uh, as just a, an expression of praise. It was part of a, a psalm that they would sing as they would come into Jerusalem, as they would come in on the pilgrimage festivals. They would sing Psalm 118, Lord save us, that, that first line, that's Hosanna. Lord save us, Lord grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. And so this song that had always been part of their pilgrimage festivals, that they would sing together as they journeyed to Jerusalem for these great festivals, they now apply them to Jesus as they celebrate, as they make this parade for him. They made such a ruckus that all of Jerusalem wanted to know what all of this fuss was about. What is going on out here? And the crowds answered, It is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And it's interesting that that's, that's what they tell the people about Jesus. Summed up in a sentence, Who is this Jesus? He's the prophet from Galilee. All of the things that they have said about Jesus are true, are correct. But they still don't quite amount to the whole picture of what Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to do. Son of David, that was true. Prophet from Galilee, that was true. He who comes in the name of the Lord, that was true. But no one, not even his disciples, understood what Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to do in the week that would follow. Understood that they were marching towards the cross, that he was marching toward the cross. It was right that the crowd praised him. And as I said, they were right that he is the son of David. And yet we also see these hints that no one still quite knew what the Messiah was going to be. They had different expectations of what a Messiah would do. When we consider the passage in context, we know the crowd didn't understand what Jesus was here for. They didn't understand quite what they were cheering for. They didn't understand how their salvation would come. As I said, not even the disciples understood. When they were on their way into Jerusalem, the, the mother of two of his disciples, James and John, he came to Jesus to ask him, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my sons sit on your left hand and one of, your si one of my sons sit on your right? Even the disciples were still expecting an earthly kingdom. We're expecting a kingdom like the one of David's that had national borders, 
that had armies, that had a king and 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 a physical palace and a physical throne. And when it came to salvation, they thought their biggest problem was the Romans and that they needed a king to come and deal with their biggest problem, the Romans. Or maybe they thought their biggest problem was their physical needs. Or maybe it was the Judean people's front. People have all sorts of different ideas about what we need salvation from, about what is our biggest need. But our biggest problem was our sin. Our greatest enemy was Satan. Our biggest problem was that we were by nature objects of God's wrath. That we, each and every one of us, had rejected God, had sinned against him, against the world that he'd created, against the people that he'd made. And each and every one of us deserved to be cut off from God and spend eternity without him. That was our greatest need. And when Jesus came to his people, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to be the king who would die for his people. As we sang about just before, he came to save us from our greatest enemy by breaking the power of sin and death. When he who had no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. With our sins paid for, Satan has no more power over us. Death has no sting because of what Christ did for us on the cross. It's worth thinking about as we come into this time of Easter whether we have any Romans today whether we have any things that we think are our biggest problem, that we think are the things that God needs to save us from rather than what is our true biggest need, forgiveness, and to be made clean, to have the righteousness of Jesus. Do we say... Yes, thank you, Jesus, for the cross and all that nice stuff you did. But what I really need is for you to save me from, I don't know, the left, the right, the, the COVID protocols, the kingdoms of this world. We see the crowds announcing Jesus as the king. But we see in the week that followed that this king was nothing like what they expected. And it took even the disciples some time to realise that this king was not only far different from what they ever expected, but that this king was far greater than what they could ever have expected. That he saved them from what 
they really needed salvation from. They could live with the Romans being there. Much as, you know, in in all honesty, the Romans were a cruel and and not particularly kind uh, empire to their subjugated nations. But we see the Christian church having followed their king in the time that followed Easter, in the time that followed the resurrection and their sending out into the nations of the world, they didn't put their efforts into revolution. They didn't put their efforts into fixing all of the things that other people thought were the greatest problems with the world. They went out, they proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has brought salvation from our real enemy, the one who has paid the price to meet our deepest need so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. As we come into this Easter week, it's good to spend time reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. As we read God's word, as we pray to him, It's good to examine our hearts and see if Jesus meets all our expectations of what we think he should be and where our expectations might differ from what Christ, who Christ is, that we might turn those things over to him and trust in him and trust in his teaching and trust in what he calls us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus, he does have a plan to deal with the Romans of this world. He has a plan to save us from war and from tyrants. He has a plan to save us from sickness and from death. But most of that plan is future when he makes all things new. And so in the hard times of, and I don't want to minimise the struggles that we can have with these things, with sickness and in death, to minimise the suffering of people facing the unjustness of war and the... um, Yeah, the consequences and and all of the difficulties that that brings. And it's not always easy to trust Jesus in the time that those things are happening. We want want him to save us from them right now. And sometimes in his grace he does save us from the difficulties that we find ourselves in. But because of Easter... Because of what Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to do, because of his death on the cross, we have a hope, even in all of those struggles, in all of those hardships, a hope that can never be taken away. Because it's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on what's happening in the world around us. Even if we are killed, 
What Jesus has promised us cannot be taken away. For what He has promised us is that we will be a new creation. We will be made new and we will live with Him forever. In this week leading into Easter, it's good for us to reflect on our true need, on what He's done for us. It's, and I want to be careful about how, I, how we do this because when I say I want us to reflect on our true need, I want it to reflect on our sinfulness and our need for salvation. We don't need to do it in a way that is condemning ourselves and saying, I am a terrible and awful person and I don't, um, you know, I don't deserve God to love me and I don't deserve... It's kind of true in a sense. We don't deserve the incredible love that God has given for us. But that's not the kind of reflection on our sin that I want us to do. But instead in reflecting on the fact that I do sin and fall short of the glory of God. And every time I do, I'm reminded that God knew I would do that. And he loved me anyway. Jesus knew I would do that. And he died for me anyway. And so this week I'd encourage us to, in that sense, not in a way that brings us down and a way that... uh, brings condemnation on us but in a way that shows us the immensity of God's love for us we can reflect that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour and as we reflect on our true need on what he's done for us. We can be reminded all the other things that we want him to save us from. From war, from sickness, from death, from all kinds of suffering, from even all the bruises and aches on a Sunday morning after a football game. All of those things whet our appetite for the world that is to come. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came to be the king that we needed. You're not necessarily perhaps the king that all the people wanted that would save us from the things that we thought we needed saving from and would bring us the things that we thought we wanted. But you came to bring something far better, to save us from something far worse. We thank you that you are the king that we didn't expect. Lord, we thank you that you saved us from sin and from death. We thank you that because of you we have a hope of everlasting life. Lord, we pray that you would be foremost in our hearts this Easter as we do reflect on the fact that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory and you don't want us to beat ourselves up and to 
inflict pain on ourselves for falling short. You don't want us to try and uh, make penance and try and make up to you all the things that we've done wrong. But you just want us to know how much you've loved us, that you paid the price for those sins, even when we were still your enemies. You died for us. And so we pray that in that way, every day we might have a new revelation of your grace and your love. And Lord, we do live in a time where there's lots of difficulty and heartache and pain. And we thank you that you have a plan to save us from those things. We pray that you will help us to be patient in waiting to be saved from those things and trusting that all things will happen in your right time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.